Psalm 31 verse 5 is a familiar verse to many, particularly during the remembrance of Christ's death. Into your hands I commit my spirit. When he uttered those words, Christ addressed them to his Father. And by referring to God as Father, Christ expressed the depth of intimacy which exists between the first and second person of the Godhead. Indeed, as John 5.20 states, the Father loves the Son. That Christ prayed from Psalm 31 while on the cross amid agony suggests that as we study this prayer, we will in turn study the Lord's heart and mind while on the cross. Psalm 31 weaves together the themes of suffering and triumph and provides an important backdrop for Christ's death and resurrection. And as we approach Psalm 31, we see that the psalmist is David, and it was written for the choir director. And as David writes this psalm, he's facing enemies who sought to trap him. They slandered him. They wanted to kill him. And and having this brief summary is going to allow us to understand why Christ would have reflected on this psalm, a psalm of fear and faith, during those hours of his death. We're going to divide this uh, psalm into several sections. We'll begin first with verses 1 through 5. And we'll call this Refuge. Refuge, verses 1 through 5. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me quickly. Be to me a rock of strength, a stronghold to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, you will lead me and guide me. You will pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me, for you are my strength. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. David comes to God with a confession of confidence. And because David is seeking God's intervention, he prays that he would not be ashamed by unanswered prayer. Knowing God's righteousness, David asks for deliverance. And reinforcing this thought, he asks God to hear his prayer. Incline your ear to me and act. Rescue me quickly. And so what we see here is salvation includes both the negative and the positive. On the negative, he needs deliverance from his enemies. But on the positive, he has security and protection. Because Yahweh is his rock of refuge and his fortress of defense. Now David asked God to be his fortress because he already knows that this is who God is. You see, when you and I call upon God to act, we are asking him to manifest to us that which he already is. David also draws on his past experience of God's saving work. And he now asks him to once again intervene. And when he appears to the Lord to, or when he appeals rather to the Lord to lead him and guide him for his name's sake, he's asking God to vindicate the power of his name by answering his prayer. David's request now becomes more specific. Deliver me from the schemes of my enemies. God will be David's strength by releasing him. And that's why he puts his spirit into God's hands with this confession, You have ransomed me, O Lord God of truth. Now I want you to see the urgency here. The trap is set. David is in it. His very life is at stake. Yahweh, however, is his deliverer, his rock, his fortress, his savior, his strength, and his redeemer. Yahweh is righteous and true. And he will lead and guide David. And verses 1 through 5 shows that although the hour is late and the crisis is severe, God is fully able to respond by his abundant grace. 
In the context of these verses celebrating the saving power of God, it is no wonder why Jesus prayed, Into your hand I commit my spirit. Now in verses 6 through 8, we'll entitle this section, Rejoicing. I hate those who regard vain idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your loving kindness, because you've seen my affliction. You have known the troubles of my soul, and you have not given me over into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a large place. David now presents himself as a man who hates idolaters and who trusts in Yahweh. Thus David says he is glad. He's rejoiced in Yahweh's loving kindness, his chesed, that is his mercy or his covenant love in saving him from his enemies. You know, God's mercy is specifically seen here as he considers David's trouble. Moreover, he has known David's soul in affliction. And David has not been given over into the, land of, or into the hand of his enemy. That is, he's not been held in his powerful grip. Instead, God has delivered him and set him in a large place. That is a place free from constriction. He's taken him out of the trap and put him in a place where there is no trap. David's confidence in God then is based on his trust and on God's actions in verses 7 and 8. God shares his trouble. God is neither distant nor aloof from his people. God moves on David's behalf and gives him a wide place, an open place of salvation. And it's no wonder then that David can commit his spirit to Yahweh, and it is no wonder why Jesus did the same thing on the cross. In the midst of the unbelief of his disciples, amid the hounding of his enemies, Jesus knew the intimacy of the Father and the power with the Father. He was not protected from adversity, but he was protected in the adversity. And that's why even on the cross he could pray, Father, into your hands. Now let's move to verses 9 to 13. And we've entitled this, The Repining. The Repining, verses 9 to 13. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted away from grief, my soul and my body also, for my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength has failed because of my iniquity, and my body has wasted away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbor, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I am forgotten as a dead man, out of mind. I am like a broken vessel, for I have heard the slander of many. Terror is on every side. While they took counsel together against me, they schemed to take away my life. Having expressed his cry to the Lord and his confidence in the Lord, David turns to his crisis and once again the despair overwhelms him. First he cry, calls out for new mercy because, Lord, I'm in distress. He weeps with a grief that engages his soul and his body. It's affecting every part of him. And verse 10 underscores those points. He says, my life is equal to grief. I'm groaning. My strength is failing. My bones are wasting away. David is a seriously ill man. He's critically ill. And now he's facing, not only being critically ill, he's now facing rebuke and rejection from his enemies, which we would expect, but also from his friends, his neighbors. He's a, he says, I'm a reproach amongst my enemies and especially amongst my neighbors. And this reminds me of Job. Who needs friends like Job's friends? Nobody. 
Oh, Job, well, you must be so sick because you committed this sin or that sin. You must have done this. You must have displeased God somehow. You know, it always, it always amazes me how people can speak for God and yet don't know what God is doing. Don't know what God is thinking. We need to be very careful before we speak for God. The only thing you can speak for God is what God has already said in his word. Otherwise, keep your mouth shut. Stop speaking for God. That's what Job's friends did, and they were brought up for it. That's what even David's friends are doing. Listen, you expect the enemies to mock you. You expect your enemies to run you down. But your friends, that's what's happening here. They're adding insult to his injury. He's become repulsive to his acquaintances or fearful to his acquaintances. His physical bearing seems to be so hideous that everybody's fleeing from him. And they're accusing him, oh, you must be so ill because you've committed such a sin. When in reality, that wasn't the case. I mean, certainly, you know, we live in a sin-cursed world, and because of that, there's a certain amount of illness, sickness, and things of that nature that are going to befall us because of the fact we live under the curse. But they're accusing David of something which David was not guilty of. The universal conclusion, God has abandoned David. He's a dead man. Put him out of our minds. He's a broken vessel. He's worthless. Just discard him. He's, he, 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 he's nobody. There's a massive rejection here of David because they think they know what God is thinking. They don't know what God's thinking. So David, here's David between being critically ill. Now he's suffering and enduring slander and terror on every side. And on top of that, now his enemies are plotting to take his life. And so David's grief then comes from a sense of rejection from those around him, particularly his friends. His body is breaking under the strain. And you know, we can hear some of Jesus' sorrow in David because he grieved not for his own sin. He had no sin. But he grieved for our sin. He was rejected, not only by his enemies, but by his friends. His life was demanded by him. Remember, all of his friends, quote-unquote, Rejected him, despised him, abandoned him, fled from him. And that's exactly what Isaiah 53 3 says. He's despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. Verses 14 to 18, we'll call this section recovery. Recovery. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, You are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. Make your face to shine upon your servant. Save me in your loving kindness. Let me not be put to shame. O Lord, I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them be silent in Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak arrogantly against the righteous with pride and contempt. In David's crisis, he throws himself upon the Lord. As for me, I trust in you. What a confession. I trust in the Lord. And he takes that confession and turns it into a prayer. So Yahweh is David's God, and there's a personal relationship. You are my God. And David acknowledges that his times are in God's hands. He understands that his life and his destiny are controlled by God. And that's why he can pray, deliver me from the hand of my enemies. You see, either God's hands or your enemy's hands hold you. And so if you're out of your enemy's hands, you best be in God's hands. And woe to you if you're out of God's hands, because that means you're in your enemy's hands. To be out of your enemy's hands is to be free from those who persecute you or pursue you. David asks to be delivered into the Lord's presence. Make your face shine upon your servant. Save me 
in your loving kindness. Let your face shine upon me like the sun, he says. In other words, break through this cloud of depression. Save me for your mercy's sake. Next, David asked God to answer his prayer and save him from shame. Don't let me be ashamed, Lord. I've prayed, and if you don't answer, I'm going to be ashamed. And so he asks, let the wicked be put to shame. And their shame will be death under divine judgment in hell. They'll be silent in the grave. Their lying lips will be silenced. Their insolence, their pride will end. And so in verses 14 to 18, David is confessing his trust in Yahweh. He's expecting deliverance. He's expecting to be in God's presence. He knows that shame will not come to him but to the wicked because God will answer his prayers. And although this psalm was upon Jesus' heart as he died, he is strangely silent about retribution towards his enemies. In fact, while David here prays for retribution against his enemies, this is what sets Christ apart from David and from all of us. He prayed for their forgiveness rather than their doom. Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see, on the cross, Christ bore our shame. And he allowed the Father's face to be darkened towards him in order that the Father's face could shine upon us. Finally, we have verses 19 to 24, and we're going to call this section Recovery. Verses 19 to 24, Recovery. How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you before the sons of men. You hide them in the sacred place of your presence from the conspiracies of man. You keep them secretly in a shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has made marvelous his loving kindness to me in a besieged city. As for me, I said in my alarm, I am cut off from before your eyes. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplications when I cried to you, O oh, love the Lord, all you his godly ones. The Lord preserves the faithful and fully recompenses the proud doer. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. Having asked God to intervene by delivering him from his enemies, David now praises him for his goodness. And it's clear here that he has experienced a breakthrough in prayer. He delights in the Lord's goodness. That goodness that God shares with those who fear and trust in him. You see, the fear of God here is to have an awe before his mercy and might. Trusting in him is to take him at his word, knowing that he will be true to what he says. And see, the goodness of God will be revealed to all, and that is, he displays his presence to the sons of men. At the same time, those who fear and trust in God will be kept in God's presence. They will be hidden in his presence from the schemes of people, the conspiracies of man, their accusations, the strife of tongues, and they'll be kept by him in a shelter. You know, it's important to see here that God's shelter, which reverses all the ills that David experienced. His enemies may vanish, his health may improve, but his heart will still be empty unless he's in the presence of God. You see, it's the presence of the Lord for which he longs for the most. Yes, he longed for health. Yes, he longed for his enemies to be vanquished. But if all that had happened and he still didn't have the presence of God, he still would have been empty. Even though on the cross is our sin bearer, 
Jesus knew the absence of God for a moment. He was sustained through those awful hours by the Father's presence. And so the cry of dereliction was addressed to him, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That cry was a quote from Psalm 22, which like Psalm 31, ends in triumph. And it is certain by use of the Psalms that our Lord meditated deeply on these passages about sickness, about healing, about suffering, about joy, about death, and about life. And so as he was dying, he held on to these Psalms and clung to the goodness of God. Knowing God's shelter, David's now ready to worship. As God's grace is upon him, he in turn, I need to worship the Lord. See, in verse 22, David thought he would have been cut off from the Lord, but he said, no, I was too hasty. God heard my supplication when I cried out to him. And so with his prayer answered, David summons the godly ones, the saints, to gather and worship with him. Because God preserves the faithful. The proud, they're going to be fully repaid for their arrogance. And so David exhorts us to be strong, and let our heart take courage. Be strong, and God will encourage you for whatever he has put in your path. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this psalm, Psalm 31, a psalm of fear and faith. The reality is, Father, we all have fears. And whether those fears are, are genuine or whether they're only in our mind, whether they're uh, coming from our friends, whether they're coming from our enemies, we don't know. But Lord, we do know this, that you deliver us from those fears. That you strengthen our faith. And Father, we thank you for that. Lord, I pray if there's someone who's listened to this devotional here from Psalm 31, perhaps they're struggling, Lord, perhaps with some of the things that David even himself was experiencing that I pray that this psalm could be a comfort to them as it was not only to David, but also to our Messiah, our Savior, Jesus Christ. That, Father, no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're dealing with, we can commit ourselves, commit our lives to your hands. That, Lord, we know that our destiny is yours to control. And then, Father, in doing that, Lord, give us peace, give us comfort, continue to guide and to lead us. Father, I thank you for the example of our Savior and what an example that is to us. That even in the midst of death, even in the pain and agony that he suffered, his thoughts were centered on the Scripture, particularly the Psalms. And so I pray, Lord, that our hearts, our minds would be filled with Scripture so that when we go through that same agony, that same despair, that, Lord, we can return to Scripture and cling to these things that we have read and learned and studied in the past. And in so doing, Lord, strengthen us and encourage us. We pray in your Son's name. Amen.